Balance your trading strategy by adding futures. CME Group helps you manage risk and capture opportunities in all market environments. Capitalize on around-the-clock access to highly liquid global futures and options market across all major asset classes. Just visit your online broker and get started. Plug into valuable educational materials and trading tools and see what adding futures can do for you at cmegroup.com slash on the tape. Guy here. You're listening to an audio broadcast of Market Call. That's MRKT Call. It's a daily video series I do with Dan Nathan every Monday through Thursday live at 1 p.m. Eastern. We break down the big market-moving headlines and offer trade ideas. Each week, we're joined by our friends Carter Worth of Worth Charting and Liz Young, that's EY of SoFi, for their investment analysis. So check it out. And if you like it, follow at Market Call on on Twitter and subscribe to Risk Reversal Media's YouTube page so you never miss an episode. It's one on one on the East Coast. We're late because I was impaling myself with technology. They blinded me with science, but this is Market Call. How are you, Dan? I'm doing okay, guy, Dami. You're all fired up here today. I, you know um, what? I am fired up. I'm always fired up. I got to watch some football last night. It's funny, and I know we're not here to talk about that. That's not what we're tasked to do, but there's certain teams when you watch them play, the Eagles, for example, you just know they're going to win the game. Like that game last night was never in doubt. The question was how much you're going to win it by. I wish I had that luxury as a New York football giant fan, but I don't back to you. Yeah. What, what do you think about those Cincinnati Bengals, those um, those unis, the white with the I love the throwbacks? I, you know, I'd like when the Bengals, the actually they had written Bengals on the side of the helmets. I don't like the stripes, but I like the whites. I like that whole whiteout thing. And as I said on cool. Fast Money last night, you know, Boomer Sice and a big fan of all the things we do. He was inducted into their ring of honor with Chad. Johnson, now Chad Ocho Cinco. Ocho Cinco. I love that, by the way. You know, I, I, you know something? You wouldn't think I'd like him. I love Chad Ocho. I, I love well, everything about him. Okay, so why do you say the name? You won't say Alphabet. You won't say Meta. You yeah, won't say Block, but you say Ocho Cinco. And I'm just going to say this because I know your buddies. And I won't say Coach Prime either. I know, but I know your buddies with uh, with Boomer. You are Guy from Morristown who calls in to, to the Boomer and, and Carton show. Um but, you know, I actually think that's a little disrespectful. Boomer should go in on his own. He should have his own ring of honor day. I'm just going to say that because I think he put that team on the map. Um, but, Guy, that's not what we're tasked here to no, do. No, 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 no. All right, let's talk By the way, about and, and, and yeah. before we get into the – and it is an important market day. Yeah. I lo- there are two quarterbacks in the NFL that I – besides Daniel Jones. I love Jalen Hurts. I, I he's a I love everything about him, and I love Joe Burrow. Those and oddly enough, you know, those are guys sort of uh, matched up against each other. So I love the two of them. They're there's just something about them. They get it. Anyway, let's talk about let's talk about the market real quickly. What do you think of the chances? Are we going to have a, a a rematch? Eagles Chiefs? Is that what's going to be the? No, I'm going to uh, I'm going to go out on a, I'm going to go out on a crazy limb, yeah. and I'm going to say I think the Eagles. Everybody loves the Cowboys, but, you know, the Cowboys proved once again this past Sunday, you just can't trust them and you can't trust Dak in a big spot, number one. I love the Niners, although I don't know. I just – Brock Purdy, I I just don't – I don't see it yet. I think the Eagles are the NFC, but I'm telling you something. The Dolphins, their offense is off the friggin' charts, but the Chargers – 
I think that win against the Vikings this past weekend, I think that set them up to sort of get things in motion. I don't trust their defense. I know their wide receiver, Williams, is now out for the year with an ACL, but I like what's going on in San Diego. Anyway, there you go. Back to you. All right, back to me. All right, let's talk about, like, the market. Let's, because it's a market day. You know, it's just, man, you know, like, we were talking about it early last week when we started on market call on, on the tape, uh, you know, on everything that we do in fast money. Okay. We're like, you know, will the market, which is not pricing anything for that fed meeting. Okay. Mm-hmm. Will it react to, uh, you know, a, a hawkish pause and we got the hawkish pause. That was what it was expected. And when you think about what rates did, you think of the knock on effect in the stock market, what were the things that got hit? You know, banks did not trade well. High valuation tech did not trade well. Small caps did not trade well. And it's continued on. And I just look at a day like today and listen, you know, it's it's only 105 or something like that. But, uh, you know, earlier I looked, you know, Apple and Microsoft were both down mm-hmm. you know, 2%. You had uh, Google and Amazon down nearly 3%. Um, here's that S&P chart. This is the futures here. And this is this really- penny. Yeah, well, it you know it's interesting, guy. When you look at that, look where that 200-day moving average is. You know, look where um, mm-hmm. you know we have that uptrend that's been in place. You know, you violate some serious technical levels, and we've been showing for a reason those Microsoft and those Apple charts, and the fact that they broke their uptrends that had been in place, where they gained those two companies gained more than a trillion and a half dollars off of those lows early this year or late last year, and they broke the uptrend. That's why technicals are important. That's why we love having Carter Braxton Worth on the show because he can speak to it through a different lens. When you and I are throwing around valuation levels and catalysts and relative strength, this and whatever, sometimes it's easy enough just to look at the charts and they tell you what's going on under the surface. Mixed metaphors notwithstanding. Yes, I agree with that. And we love having Carter on. And and listen, you know, technicals matter. People say, to you, why, why do they work? It's because at a certain point, a lot of these things become self-fulfilling. You discussed it yesterday, but people or machines or whatever, they put in certain buy or sell orders or stop loss orders based on levels. So these things, again, self-fulfilling and they trigger themselves. But, you know, the other thing that seems to be triggering himself is Jamie Dimon. And you say what you want about this cat. I like him. Well, for a myriad of different reasons, not least of which Karen Feinerman loves him, but he seems to tell it like it is, as opposed to like a Brian Moynihan, who I think is completely full of shit. You can edit that out for YouTube. But, you know, Brian Moynihan, everything is fine. Everything is great. At least Jamie Dimon has been pointing out now, almost for the last two years, some of the things that he's been concerned about. And a lot of these things, Dan, are coming to fruition. And yesterday he talked about something uh, in India, talking about the get again he's trying to prepare the market for higher rates and as we sit here today with the 10-year yield again significant well significantly north of four and a half percent levels that a lot of people didn't think we'd get to that's posing to be problematic for the market and we've said it there's this point of diminishing marginal returns yields will sort of get to that point where the market no longer um no longer basically ignores it and starts to pay attention and we've clearly gotten to that point you know, guy, I, I find it interesting, and and I, you know, I, I get what you say about Jamie. Um, I don't know him. Um, you know, he's been in the, he's been a a, a market voice, an mm-hmm. impactful sort of participant. Um, you know, as long as I've been in the business since the late '90s, and 
I, I wonder why a comment like that comes out in the Times of India. You know, you know what I'm saying? Like, I just, I, it's so impactful. It's such a big, you know, we've been quoting what he said for four months ago when he said, be prepared for five, six, maybe 7% Fed funds, right? So I just, I find that kind of weird. You know, I find, I think it's like his kink. Like, I think he really enjoys like, like throwing some some shit up against the wall mm -hmm. and see what happens and you know again i'm not gonna you know moynihan comes from the bank of america and if you ever read any of the books i think it was clash of the titans which was a great book that came great out movie too by the way well, no i it, it came out you remember when like too big to fail you know sorkin's book and all these other books about the financial crisis and everything came out this one was actually really good i and i, I can't remember who the author was but it talked about how bank of america you know like how it was built over the last 40 years or so it's just a different culture okay like like to be very clear jamie's right here right in new york and he's been in the mix of all of it you know what i mean and so and you know and, and so it is what it is but um i think they have different franchises so no that's fair look it's absolutely fair i guess my point is and 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 you know why i'm because i am not this person like i understand people always want to be optimistic and i've said this and i want to be completely honest you know, I was raised in a Wall Street. What can go wrong will go wrong. So I'm predisposed to be negative about things. And that's just me being honest. I get it. I think Brian Moynihan, to his credit, I guess, is sort of wired differently. He's the eternal optimist. And I wish I was more like that at times, but I'm not. So I admire people that basically can see through the bullshit and, and, and say it like it is, or at yeah. least the way they see it, as opposed to everything's great, everything's great, everything's great, when it's pretty clear that everything isn't particularly great. Yeah, but that being said, dude, like if we've we've tracked a lot of Jamie's comments. We do it at here on, on Market Call every day for the last couple of years. He's been all over the place, dude. Mm -hmm. Like, remember the economic storm is coming and this and that. And you know who was right about that? When 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 uh, when Moynihan clapped back. And he says, well, we're down here in North Carolina in, in, in the eye of the storm, usually in most storms that, 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 that make landfall. And I don't see it. And he was right about that. OK, so like, you know, I, I mean, listen, you and I are just kind of debating it. And maybe it's just semantics a little bit. But, guy, you and I have been talking about this. And I always think that, you know, you know, you, when you say that you were grew, grew up in a Wall Street, you know, what could go wrong, you know, or what can go wrong, you know, could go, whatever the hell it is, whatever what you can say. go wrong, will go wrong. Yeah, Prepare they, for the worst Hope for the best. Yeah. And I think that one thing that I've known about you and I've sat next to you now um, on Fast Money since 2011, you and I have been doing content every day for the last um, three years or so. You also have um, a soft spot in your heart for some of the data as it relates to consumers. Like we talk about. Hell stock. yeah. No, I know. But we talk about stocks. We talk about markets. We talk about billionaires all the time and this and whatever. But at the core of this. 70% of our GDP is a consumer and, you know, a disproportionate amount of that, you know, kind of incremental, you know, consumer, con like, I guess, consumption when things are really good is being bought by people who shouldn't be buying things mm -hmm. on credit. They can't afford, you know what I mean? Like that sort of thing. And, and you've always had, you know, I, I think an eye out for that. And you're sympathetic to that. It seems like we're in a place and I saw a stat this morning. I think it was like a, a fed survey where it's just going to be, very soon, the top 20%, okay, of, of like the wealthy people in America are going to have excess savings post-COVID. And the 80% have just worn it all down. And then, you know, a trillion dollars 
of of credit you know what i mean like like consumer credit on credit cards right now it seems really unsustainable any sort of slowdown in this economy especially where gas prices are with with other inflationary pressures picking up when wage growth mm -hmm. is decelerated seems like a really bad setup right here guy yeah yeah yes and this is not guy railing on the federal reserve but again you know in a low interest rate um money is free environment it, it does not help the lower and middle class it helps the wealthy i mean that's just fact i mean people can debate it all they want the facts are what they are people that own shit are the ones that do well and people have the ability to buy stuff are the ones that do well and then when they're trying to combat the thing that they created in the first place you know who gets hurt in higher inflation not the wealthy people i mean it's actually laughable for them and quite frankly at a certain level they actually do better in a high inflation environment it's this it's the lower and middle class these people get squeezed on the way in and on the way out. And that's something I've been trying to point out for a while. And it's upsetting to me that this wealth gap that we've talked about for years, Dan, continues to widen. And you wonder why people are pissed off. That's why they're pissed off, because they feel as if they're not keeping up. And you brought it up yesterday, I believe, on Fast Money. You brought it up on On The Tape, Market Call. You know, politically, I think it's very difficult for this administration. They can tout the economy all they want. The reality is... People vote with their pocketbooks, and I don't think people feel particularly good about things right now. So if the stock market were to give it up, and I'm not suggesting, again, I think it will. I'm not suggesting I'm right. That's going to be problematic. Yeah, I, I guess the point, I, I think that this is something we're going to spend a lot more time on. Um, you know, if you think of, and I think what I said last night on Fast Money is if you think of the, you know, voting members of the Fed and higher for longer, they think the economy is actually too hot right now, right? Mm -hmm. So higher for longer in interest rates speaks to the fact that they still want things to cool a bit. But if you look at some of the polling about the Biden administration and how they're doing with the economy, and granted, this is, you know, more than a year out from the election and that sort of thing. But his disapproval rating, you know what I mean, is just I think I think it's the highest disapproval rating that any incumbent president has had a year before um, the reelection. And then when you look at just specifically on the economy. So if voters, you know, like to your point, are saying no bueno, you know what I mean? Um, and that's something for my main man, Doug Cass. He wrote something in to us this morning. We're going to hit a couple of those things that he was talking about um, in his note on real money. Mm -hmm. But that's, I think that th those two voting blocks, guy, are, are, are you know, I I'm probably going to go with the, I'm probably going to go with the the, the consumer, the, the, the person uh, voting in that poll rather than what the Agreed. Fed know that the fed's not particularly great so, at targeting. so it's interesting and this genius neil if neil's watching right now hello but this genius neil kashkari who's been yeah. he, it's almost impossible to be as wrong as he's been and to be as arrogant about it at the same time i mean it's it's quite remarkable but you spent time in london right didn't you or no yeah, yeah. i used to stay when i used to go i used to go for like two week blocks i used to stay at the savoy yeah. and why you mention this guy it's like okay i'm going to tell you why because what you learn in London is, you know, when you cross the street here in the United States, you look one way because that's the way tra traffic goes the other way in London. I mention oh. that because these Fed officials are looking the wrong way. You know, they're looking right when they should be looking left. You know, they're looking clearly in the rearview mirror. If they were just to pay attention to some of the things that are bubbling up around the surface, they would realize that you could say all you want about the economy being great. They're cracks in the armor. And I've mentioned this before, and I guarantee you people will start talking about this. The unemployment rate in California is now north of 4.5%. It moved about a percent higher, percentage point higher over the course of a few weeks. California typically leads um, the rest of the country, I don't know, month, month and a half, two months or so. 
So get ready. That unemployment rate that everybody's sort of hanging their hat on, it's going gonna, it's gonna to move very quickly in a very short period of time. And I don't think the market is necessarily prepared for it. And before we go to our next slide, I'll say this. The same way the Fed thought they could control inflation, which clearly they couldn't do, is the same way they think they can control the unemployment rate, which, by the way, they won't be able to do either. All right, let's look at the S&P 500. Let's look at the E-minis here. Um, on September 5th, Guy, if you recall, Danny You Mose were in Chicago. I know I what mean, it was. You we were going were at, to see the Pearl Jam. We were going to see just Pearl Jam, Guy. We oh. were going to see Pearl Jam, um, and we did the market call from CME Group. And, you know, Danny actually did a trade. He was really geeked up. He was super bearish. And if you just look at that chart of the uh, S&P 500 at the time, it was trading around 4,500. He shorted the futures there. He was using a 4,600 stop at the time. Mm -hmm. His first target was down there near 4,300. He was targeting that uptrend that's been in place from the October lows. But his next target was down there 4,100. I think all three of us were in the camp that we thought we we're going to see a retest of 4,200. So Danny gave me a quick update today on this trade. 4330 he covered half the position and i think this is really interesting to think about look at how good amanda is with these graphics and he's moving down his stop on half of the position yes trailing stop trailing stop 4600 guy now to 4500 and i think i i guess you know, if he gets to 4,200, 4,190, that's that kind of rising 200-day moving mm -hmm. average level or so, you probably take the trade off because, again, think of the market that we have been in over the last, call it, 9 to 10 months or so. This sort of sell-off has not been, you know, something other than we have to go back to, you know, the, the kind of regional banking crisis in March to see that sort of move. So, again, you look at the chart. I see all those lines coming together. I see support at 4,200, guy. I'd probably take a breather. I shorted the QQQ last week here. And if we get back to that kind of breakout level from May, I'm taking it off. So, thoughts on Danny, how he's trading the S&P futures here. And do you agree with his levels? And do you agree that 4,200 or so would probably be a good level to exit the trade and take another look? Yeah, no, the levels are right. We said it that day, the levels were right. People ask us, you know, it's a pretty tight stop in terms of the initial stop. If you go back to the first slide, where he put on the trade and where his stop was, like you weren't giving yourself a lot of room. But we said, look, the nature of the beast is that's exactly the right place to have it. It worked out. I don't think there was a day of pain in this trade. And now here we are. So taking off half makes sense without question. Trade the market. Don't let the market trade you. I say that all the time. And then lowering the stop, making this now a trailing stop and lowering it from 4,600 to 4,500 makes a lot of sense because it guarantees a profit in the trade if you just stick to that. If the trade were to go lower, if we were to break, I think that sort of, and if we could put up our chart, if we were to break that uptrend line, then things are going to get really interesting very quickly. So then we talked about potentially adding on weakness. Now that's sort of next level shit, but that's the way I've been thinking about it. But the levels are right and the discipline is right. And when I say trade the market, don't let the market trade you, the move that we've seen almost forces you to do something. And Danny did it exactly correctly, I think. Yeah, and I would say this, that sometimes when you have a trade on, now this has been on for you know two and a half weeks or so um, like this or, or nearly three weeks, 
Um, you know, sometimes when you get to the levels that you predetermined and you're, you're doing things like, like, like the, the plan that you set out, the, the stop to make sure that you don't lose too much. And then, you know, the downside where you're going to take some off and move the stop down. I mean, sometimes it does make sense to cl close out the trade and take another look, let, let the market breathe for um, a, a minute, uh, maybe a day or so, and then think about, you know, how it reacts at those levels too. So good trading by Danny. Um, Guy, I want to go to this comment. And again, this is from the Times of India with Jamie Dimon saying that the world's not ready for 7% no, Fed funds. Absolutely look, not. I know, but look at this 10 year. Okay. So, so, you know, Carter this morning on, on uh, worth charting had his catching up with Carter. Um, great little video there. And, you know, he, he thought, that the 10 year and he's been detailing it, um, you know, on market call over the last few weeks would be rejected at that prior high from a year ago. Um, he's calling it now. He still thinks it's a bit of a head flake. We use the support level um, that we've seen off of those kind of may lows and, and those may lows were three and a quarter. And here we are about four and a half guy. He uses it as a little bit of a channel and he thinks it's getting a bit extended and he thinks mm -hmm. it's going to be a head fake. He thinks you're going to have a retracement. So what is it that, you know, <laughs> What would be the thing that would okay. cause this right. to explode? I guess to so, the upside. so let's all right. So let's play it out in terms of both both sides of this equation. I think what what keeps rates moving higher, in my opinion, are again this this persistent inflation that's going to reaccelerate. We've talked about that into September, October, November, into the fall. We saw saw a glimpse of that the last reading. That's number one. Number two. Supply demand thing. I mean, the market is demanding a higher yield to buy our debt. Rightly so, by the way, with the debt to GDP approaching 145 or so percent. And the third thing, and we've talked about this, and people say, why should I care about Japan? The reason why you care is because they are the largest holder of our treasuries, and they're clearly doing something in order to try to support their currency, which, by the way, they're failing at. And I think they've been selling treasuries. So it really comes down to supply and demand, which is why, personally, I thought rates will go higher, and I think they will continue to go higher. Next part of that question is, why would rates go lower? Well, this is my opinion again. I think rates would go lower on the back of a dramatic market sell-off. Now, we're clearly at an uptrend line in the S&P. We're clearly at support. But if we were to start to break down in a meaningful way, what I think is going to happen is a flight to quality in the form of bonds, which makes yields go lower, and or the um, this debt ceiling, which, by the way, we're a few days away from now, four or five days away. Nobody seems to be talking about it. I, I looked at my Google machine. Uh, I don't think they figured it out yet. I think if something were happen on that front, as counterintuitive as this might be, the market might find its way into the bond market on this again perceived flight to quality back to you yeah that'll be a pretty interesting one and you've been detailing that for the last week or so so it'll be interesting to see how um markets react to that we have a vix that's you know 1840 or so mm -hmm. i mean like listen i think some of this downward volatility we've seen in the stock market has to do with this you know listen markets investors we don't like uncertainty right and what would we have right now a whole heck of a lot of it and you know you go back to 2011 and 12 and all these games were being played with the debt ceiling and the shutdowns and the you know 
know, the, the um, you know, ratings, uh, downgrades of, of U.S. debt. I mean, our markets went haywire for a bit in, in those uh, periods. So, you know, I, I think that when you have this much complacency and then you and I have also talked about, and that's one of the reasons why, listen, I'll say it again. We show up every day. We're doing this stuff every day and we're talking to you guys, you know, it, like timestamp it all. You know, we're, we're right, we're wrong, this and that, whatever. But we're really trying to kind of navigate through some of the stuff that we spend a lot of time thinking about, reading about, talking to people about or whatever. And I just think that what's gone on under the hood, as we've detailed here, is not particularly great. You know, if you mm -hmm. look at the NASDAQ 100, let's pull that up for a second here, okay? Like, without this top six, seven names, okay, without this AI excitement in and around them, um, you got a market that is probably flat to down. We've been talking about the equal weight S&P for a while. That's the RSP, the ETF that tracks it. But look at this NASDAQ E-mini, the 100 futures here. It's just broken this uptrend that looked like a monster, right? It was just like, guy, I mean, like, you know, yeah, it got a bit extended a few months ago and it came back in or whatever. But look at where that 200-day moving average is, okay? And then why have we been talking about Microsoft and Apple? They broke their uptrends before the QQ2 did. Those two names made up $5 trillion in market cap. They made mm -hmm. up like 20-some percent of that index of 100 stocks. So if the two leaders that gained more than a trillion dollars in market cap from their lows this year are breaking technical levels, well, then you better watch out for what comes next. And what I think comes next is NVIDIA and Tesla, two of the last sentiment leads. They're both down about 15 or so percent from their recent highs, but they've outperformed so dramatically. So to me, when I think about tech, I'm like, watch out below, because if it goes back towards that breakout level from May, which is near that 200-day moving average, like the S&P is very close to getting to, guy, then I think you're going to have some problems in the broad market. And don't get me started on bank stocks. Don't get me started on industrials. Don't get me started on transports. I mean, the list goes on and on. And then unprofitable tech. What about cheap tech? What about fintech? What about PayPal and stuff like that falling off the bottom right of the chart? There's just a lot of stuff out there that acts really bad. You're, you're, you're yeah. getting exorcised. Yeah, it's, it's amazing. NVIDIA is actually unchanged on the day, which is, Crazy. but you know, as I mentioned, and you know, I sat on the desk fast money the night they, they NVIDIA reported earnings. I think this, and I saw the print. So, but somebody or some machine or something bought yeah. stock which means somebody sold stock at $516. And I was sitting there listening to some of the commentary about trillions and trillions dollars worth of addressable market and they dominate and you know all the bullshit that you typically hear. And that stock is now down approximately you know, $100-ish since then. Keep that in mind. There's also still a gap um, in the chart going back to the spring. Keep that in mind. So number one. Number two, Taiwan Semi, which I've said, and I believe this to be the case, I think it's one of the five or 10 most important companies on the planet. This stock is not traded particularly well. $82 is a huge level of support. Um, you can see it there in terms of the previous lows we made back in May. Has not traded well now since the middle of the summer. Keep an eye on that. Um, that double top in SMH that we have talked about. I mean, I guess the first two things that I've talked about lead us to the SMH but why don't we throw an oh, SMH chart here. and look at a little longer term yeah. because you will see a textbook double top in this thing. And to you know, Tim Seymour talks about this. I will bring it up as well. Basically, semiconductors are this generation's oil. And if this starts to roll over and if this double top is in place the way we thought it's been now for quite some time, there's going to be some pain ahead for the semis, which theoretically should mean 
there's pain ahead for the broader market. Yeah. Yeah. I mentioned this last night in Fast Money Guy. I thought, you know, it was kind of interesting coming into September. Um, it seemed like a lot of folks for seasonality reasons and, and the like just, you know, thought the S&P would be down uh, on the month. Um, we had Tom Lee on the on the tape podcast mm -hmm. a few weeks ago. Um, he made Danny Moses a bet that it would be up on the month. Tom's been a staunch bull. Um, and, you know, right now the S&P is down nearly 5%. The NASDAQ is down 6.5%. That's on the month. Um, you know, it's interesting. Sometimes when the crowd is right, it seemed like most of the strategists, most investors, most pundits, you know, thought we'd be down. What does that tell you a little bit? Because, you know, a lot of folks were very skeptical about the market heading into this year. We closed, you know, very poorly, at least in the NASDAQ. The S&P had come off its lows late last year a little bit. And so it's been, I, I think, you know, you hear that expression, the pain trade, you know, where, where's the pain trade? Well, the pain trade was higher this year, every step Clearly. of the way. Um, and, you know, it took a while, a whole host of strategists threw in the towel, I want to say, this summer a little bit. And it seems like that was the exact wrong time to do that. So what, what do you think? What do you what's the pain trade right now for equities here? Like, especially as we think about we're getting towards the end of Q3. So we're going to have Ock, Nov and Dece guy. What, what's mm -hmm. the pain trade for the balance of the year? Well, I think it's lower. I, you know, I understand why people would say it's higher because I think there's this belief that people are underinvested or whatever. You know, I don't know that to be the case. I, it's, you know, money on the sideline, all the bullshit that we've heard for years, which is just very, it's just a really lazy thing that people say when they don't have an answer to describe something. But I think if you think about it, if the majority of the people are long stocks, Pain would be most uh, at the highest level if stocks were to continue to go lower. And, you know, just, you know, I thought last year, I mean, again, not to play Monday morning quarterback, but I thought last year we did a really good job. We were bearish for the entire year. There were two times last year where we thought stocks could go higher. Once it happened in June where we thought you could see, you know, a 15 to 18% rally. We saw that. And again, in October, we saw that. This year has got me completely off sides. And I'll be the first to say it. You know, I didn't think, you know, that December, January, February move late last year, early this year clearly took me by surprise. And then the strength vis-a-vis -vis everything that happened after Silicon Valley Bank took me by surprise. And I clearly underestimated the amount of liquidity in the system. But now things are seemingly starting to happen the way we thought they would happen. At least I thought they would happen many months ago. So. Has I been wrong directionally? Absolutely. But does that mean, you know, these things can't play out? Absolutely not. And does that mean the pain trade lower isn't in play? I think the pain trade is lower here. Yeah. All that being said, guy. okay, so, you know, we were, I think, equally bearish in the last few months of 2021 and the S&P and the NASDAQ continue to make new all-time highs every day. Okay. But the stuff that we were calling out in the back half of 21 was all the right stuff. It was about mm -hmm. sediment bubbles bursting. And we were seeing them in SPACs. We were seeing it in meme stocks. We were seeing it in unprofitable tech. We were seeing it in, in, in all the crypto bullshit, um, all that sort of stuff. And it really set the stage for a trade that was non-consensus. You know, the S&P topped out the second or third trading day of 2022 and you could just sell every rally i think about 2023 and without this ai virus that infected about two dozen stocks in the stock market i actually think we've been right on a lot of stuff yeah there was some stuff like cyclical stuff that got going and you were right on energy you've been pounding the table on energy all year you know i was like a moth to flame just like i hate bubbles i hate 
you know, like like just the irrational exuberance that uh, exists around in NVIDIA. I'm fairly certain NVIDIA is going to be much lower at some point in the next six to nine months or something like that. It doesn't mean it's an indictment on the company, or their products, or their strategy, or their management, or any of that sort of stuff. It's just this is a massive, massive bubble, and it's all going to burst at some point. I don't mean crash. There's going to be stocks that crash. I don't mean the market's going to crash. I'm just fairly certain of that. So, again, you know what? We're not your hedge fund manager, your stockbroker, your investment advisor, or anything like that. We're just showing up here. We're talking you guys through it. So I hope you enjoy that. All right, guys, I want to talk about a couple other things because we got to get out of here um, in a few minutes. I mentioned Doug Katz. He sent us an email earlier today. And I got to tell you, somebody taught me this, a really smart guy in the markets about two decades ago. Watch stocks like Cintas when you are, this is C-T-A-S, okay? They make uniforms and they do all this stuff in offices. You, you, you know, if you don't know the stock, if you don't know the company, it's a $50 billion market cap company guy, okay? It's stock's down nearly 5% today. They had a beat and a raise. It just wasn't good enough. It trades at 33 times this year and it's only expected to grow like 10% on like high single digits earnings are on sales growth. So a $50 billion market cap company that's very economically sensitive, that puts up a beat and raise, the stock is very near an all-time high, right? And it can't go up. It actually gets clam like, like, like just, what does that say to you about where we are and what investors are now starting to get their antennas up in the markets? Yeah, I think, and Doug pointed this out and I'm glad he did, but to me, this is a tell on sort of the employment picture and what's really happening below the surface. And if this is an indicator, I think it sort of reinforces the point I made earlier about California leading uh, the rest of the United States in terms of employment and the unemployment rate. So I look at this and I say, you know what, we're looking at an unemployment rate that's probably going to approach four and a half percent by the end of this year, which I know a lot of people will find that hard to believe. But I think that's in the cards. Other people will say, well, that will be a great thing for the stock market. I'm not so sure that's the case. I mean, we could be in an environment now where bad news is, in fact, bad news, but we'll see. But I look at this, and to me, this is just a leading indicator as to where the employment picture is going to be. Yeah, no doubt about that. Um, it's just interesting. Again, if the market, you know, is a mosaic, I stare at my fact set machine all day. I got my, you know, like hundreds of tickers set up in different sectors. And I think about it as like a bit of a heat map and I'm watching them. And I always think like stocks like this and, and you know, which is we're not in the meat of earnings season sometimes are pretty um, decent tells. Um, I want to hit your gold for a second. I'm just going to call it your gold because I know that you and Danny are, are strong proponents of having low single digit percentage of your portfolio exposed here for a whole host of reasons. You've made the case very succinctly um, over the last couple of years and, and you've highlighted the fact that central banks, you know, hedging against, I think, as you call it, their own ineptitude have been buying the bull, uh, the gold bullion there. Not a great chart. Let's just talk about the technical setup. Let's talk about the price action here. I mean, nothing, nothing, but guy, nothing to do yet, right? Especially, again, it depends whether you're thinking about it as a trade or you're thinking about it as a allocation mm -hmm. within your portfolio because here we are. We've been kind of dealing with that 200-day moving average. You see that well-defined downtrend. You see that support here. If it were to break that support, where are we going? And, and would you add to it? Uh, yeah. That said, if it breaks out, you know, you probably kind of keep raising your downside stop. All right. So if so, let's do the if first. If it were to break through that support level, which we drew, you're probably looking at this sort of the March, fe late February, March, April lows. So what is that? 1800 or so. So that's the first if. 
you brought up the fact that central banks are hedging their own ineptitude, 100%. I mean, you can look at the statistics. They've clearly been buying gold. It has not manifested itself in the price. The strength of the dollar obviously creates a bit of a headwind. And I think it's that Pavlovian in the response that the gold yeah. market is seeing. Higher rates, higher dollar, lower gold. All makes sense to me. I think what the gold market is missing, again, my opinion, <clears throat> is the fact that Genie's out of the bottle with a lot of these things. Specifically, we mentioned Japan earlier. You know, dollar yen's going to approach 150. The, the Bank of Japan is not going to be able to stop that dollar weakness. And at a certain point, I think that manifest, you know, currency crisis historically, and I'm using the term um, by choice, have been very bullish for gold. So I think we're on the precipice of that with Japan. Clearly, nobody's talking about what's going on in China and their currency. I think there's a potential for that there. Um, and at a certain point, if things were to start to go pear-shaped in terms of the things we mentioned earlier, credit cycle, credit, uh, you know, a credit event in the market, I think people are going to find the way into the gold market. It certainly doesn't look like that now. People will say you're being dogmatic. They're right. But I do like gold still. All right. Two more things quickly before we get out of here. Um, this is kind of a hard turn here. I want to talk about American Express. Um, and this is a, a, a stock that has not seen an uptick guy in about a mm -hmm. week and a half. OK, so we've been talking about a consumer that's strapped and, and it's probably a lower wage earning consumer. OK, um, American Express. This is one where this company has credit risk. It's not Visa or MasterCard where they're just processing for the most processing part. Processing transactions. Yep. Look at what's going on here. And I, you know, I love American Express. I think it's a great company. I actually got in the mail yesterday for being a 10-year business card. Um, you. No, I got they sent me a hundred dollar gift card, which I thought Stop was really it. nice to be used. They they bought that company Resi, you know, the reservation system. A hundred dollar gift card and hey, so, hold on and, a second. A what? hundred dollar no no no, no, no. after that resi is a reservation service that you okay. book okay okay. You okay okay so listen. you know i you know, wait hold on a second and and I, I apologize if you're doing that you're doing it wrong well you know, you know how i book reservations i i actually call up the restaurant and say hey how are you do you have the table for you know two at 7 30 on friday so people actually do this online now People actually, guy, a lot of restaurants in New York City, I don't know what they do out there in, in Morristown, and I don't mean to be, you know, but they don't even have, like, let, let lines you can call for the most part. They just want you to, all right, but the upshot of it is they sent me a $100 gift card to use at a resi restaurant, and they sent me pasta and pasta sauce. I don't know. They said make make dinner at home, too. Very nice of them. Um, I love the company. I, 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 I really do. Hasn't seen an uptick in a week and a half. Look at how volatile this stock has been this year. Yep. Um, what is this saying possibly about delinquency? Credit, credit, okay. credit so, delinquencies, hundred percent. And by the way, Capital One. If you go back like eight or nine months, I get I start to get confused on time. But Capital yeah. One, Discover Financial, they all started to make comments about this months ago. Yeah. So American Express is not impervious to this, but that's exactly what it's saying. Sorry. Yeah, well, I mean, listen, your point about Capital One is that's meant to be, you know, uh, maybe possibly close to a subprime sort of lend. Look at the volatility. This stock, it looks like an EKG. So American Express is starting to look more like it. So let's keep an eye on these two. Last thing before we get out of here, and you tell me, is this a decent read on, uh, you know, what, what does Costco have to say after the close? Mm -hmm. The implied move in the options market. So they report earnings tonight, about 3% um, in either direction. Um, the chart's a monster. I mean, you know, like, like that's a good, but you know, what, what causes a breakout and what could cause a pullback 
towards that uptrend, which happens to be trending very near that 200 day moving average, which is kind of flattening out. Um, but this is, you know, you're going to say it's an expensive stock and, you know, they have that yeah. current well, revenue base yeah. the membership. So the membership, I think they have like a 92 or 93% retention yeah. for their membership, which is extraordinary if you think about it. This is an environment where Costco should do extraordinarily well, without question. Um, it's a great company. The problem, of course, is valuation. So nobody's cared about valuation. The question, I guess, is, is the market going to care about valuation? So if they come in in line, um, if they talk about guidance, if they, they, that might not be enough. I will say flat out, this stock, it's a great company. Will it continue to be a great stock? I'll say this, and if I'm wrong, I'll come back tomorrow. You know, there's a chance you see a knee-jerk higher, but I, I'm hard-pressed to believe this thing has enough in the tank at this valuation to continue to extend to the upside. I think there's a likelihood that we see that uptrend line or effectively the 200-day 200, the moving average, which comes in both of them around 510, 5, 5.11. Yeah, worth noting, you know, expected EPS growth next year, 8%, revenue growth 5%, trades 36 times, 36 times. Okay, it's so that's valuation. What that well, that's where that 92% retention yeah. rate for those, you know, that recurring revenue stream comes in versus a Walmart, which is expected to have high single digits um, EPS growth, mid single digits or low ish, you know, um, revenue growth. And it trades at, you know, 23 times or so next year. So, I, you know, to me, you know, I, 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 do I like trading earnings? Yes, yeah, sometimes I like defining my risk using options, that sort of thing. Here's one where I'm more interested to see what the company has to say, directional on, on some of the stuff as it relates to the consumer. And then also, if they do have a beat and raise, which we, again, you just said there's a chance, how does the stock react? Does it gap up and then get rejected and then find its way back? So to me, all interesting stuff. All right, Guy Adami, we covered a lot of ground today mm -hmm. on the market call. We're going to be back. Well, actually, I'm not going to be back tomorrow. What? You're going to be back tomorrow for the full half an hour with Carter Braxton. Carter Braxton. Of charting. Yeah, you didn't get the memo. I'm out tomorrow. I got something Good. else. But, no, do you think? Um, there were more people watching this live broadcast than showed up at Yankee Stadium yesterday, which is more of an indictment of the Yankees than it is sort of a, a praise of what we're doing. But I think the numbers don't lie. I mean, it's a mate. There was nobody freaking there. And you know what? I can't blame them. Why? Why would you go? It was yeah. shitty out. They suck. There was, it, it reminded me of late 60s Yankee Stadium when nobody when a lot of people showed up as empty seats. It was eerily reminiscent of what goes on at Shea in a normal year. Yeah. You know, guy, I, you're going to, you're going to, well, I don't know what, what you're going to think of this. Last night, we have some friends in town from California. We were going to take them down to San Gennaro. We we're going to go to one of my faves, Ruby Rosa, sure. um, which is a great Italian place. It's in Nolita. And um, I, you know, like I was. It's just, in Way Seconds. And what? Nolita. Uh, north is of that Little like Italy. the Vladimir Nabokov book? North or no? of Little Italy. And oh, we had to Nolita. Not Nolita. Nolita. Okay. No, no By the way, not a lot of people are pulling Vladimir Nabokov out of their ass. No, I'm just telling you. You just did. But but it was a really sad affair. I just wanted some some Zeppelis. I just wanted some fresh Zeppelis after. And you know what? We get down there, and they're breaking down everything in San Gennaro. I missed it by a day. Wow. Missed it by a day. So. Oh, well, it's unfortunate. You know, that's what are you going to do? All right. Well, what you are you going to do? You can still get a great meal down there. I mean, it's not like close little right, Italy. Guys, follow us on the YouTube. If you're watching this on YouTube and you're not subscribing, follow us. Leave feedback in there. Our team is reading that feedback. We're trying to gauge a lot of the programming to some of the feedback um, in there. So we appreciate you being with here. We appreciate 
FactSet guy. Mm. We appreciate CME Group, two of our mm. very fine sponsors across the Russell Media platform, and we appreciate you guys being here. We do. We'll be back. I'll be back tomorrow with Carter Braxton Worth of Worth Charting. Um, enjoy the rest of your day, people. All right. Thanks.